The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves the wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. This week, we're looking particularly at elders. There's some, some difficulty here with who this term refers to, whether it be the older men in the group. Last week, we talked about the older women in the group, uh, particularly the widows. Uh, this week, sometimes people will say that that group of elders is the older men that didn't have that support system. Um, but here, it seems to be functioning in a bit more of a specific technical term where Paul is identifying the elders as leaders of the church. A few weeks ago, we looked at the bishop or the overseer. And then the week after that, we looked at the deacons, these people that have places of authority or leadership within the church. This group collectively as elders, this seems to be who Paul is referring to uh, in this in this text, the first area in which he, he instructs them is with regard to compensation. Side note, I hope you've noticed the new projector and the new screen. It's so much clearer. It's like illuminating things behind me. Not quite, but okay. This is why this is weird because I'm the one that's talking about this. And what Paul is saying is the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. What Paul is talking about here, this idea of double honor, it doesn't mean that you just honor someone doubly. It's really talking about financial compensation. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double pay, double money, especially those elders whose jobs it is to preach and teach. Can you see why this might be strange for me to be the one talking about this? It might come off as if I'm saying, well, Paul said it, that settles it, I believe it, give me more money. Okay, we'll, we'll nuance that a bit because that's not necessarily uh, where, where he's headed here. But it says uh, in, in this text, especially those who are preaching and teaching, but the work that Paul's talking about here, there's a couple different Greek words that you could use for that. The more common word would have to just do with, with working in whatever capacity. The word that he's chosen here is usually used in a context of like laboring in the field, like sweating. If you guys were looking closely while I was singing, hopefully you weren't. I mean, I was completely drenched. It's like 150 degrees in here. And I told you again, I've, I've told you this before, like my very white, smooth vocals could lull you to sleep very, very quickly. Yes? No? Here, though, it's talking about this work of preaching and teaching as something that's really, really hard. Usually where you guys sit um, for those of us that, that have worked in churches, we've heard from, from folks in the seats, a lot of times it seems as though the idea of what 
we do is we show up on Sundays and we talk for 20 minutes or so and then we go home and we just wait to talk again for 20 minutes the following week. I've, I've cited this um, survey in the past though. For others, they lump a lot of responsibilities on pastor type people. There was a survey done not six months ago where uh, a pastor was trying to get an idea of what people in the seats expected their pastors to do for them. They had all these different jobs listed out, counseling, praying, preparing, um, teaching, leading groups, all these things, and they had time increments. And when everything was said and done, the people in the pews wanted their pastors to be working 60 to 80 hours a week with all the different expectations that they had on on people. Here it seems that, that Paul is, is focusing on, on that a little bit by saying that the work that happens in the church is a difficult work, uh, whether that be the preaching, the teaching, or all the other things that, that go along with it. I want you to hear this. There's a text in Hebrews 13 that talks about um, entrusting yourselves to uh, the authority or leadership of, of a local church body because those leaders are overseers of your souls. I want you to know that whatever you do with this, know that you collectively are always on my mind. How many of you just went to the song, you're always on my mind? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you, the over 40 crowd. I want you to know that this is not just something that, that we have entered into casually. Or this is something that that we just do for 20 minutes on a Sunday. This is, this is us entering, hopefully, into relationships with you, uh, mentoring, discipling, being available for whatever it is that you need. And what Paul's saying is here, the people that do that are worthy of double compensation. He goes on to say, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. What Paul's doing here is he's appealing to uh, an argument used in the Old Testament that has to do with how we care for animals and saying if that's the case with animals, it should be the case with pastors and teachers and people in, in that as well. Uh, he also cites Jesus here, the worker deserves his wages. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul again evokes this, this line of teaching where we're not to, to muzzle an ox while it's treading grain as if the ox could be working and not even able to eat any of the grain as they're going on. But I want to talk just briefly about what this means for us as a church, because what you've heard just now, a lot of you have stepped back into church perhaps for the first time in years, and I have just very boldly ushered myself into that fine stereotype of, we just want your money, have I not? I want to, to talk about what this looks like for us as a church, and I don't want to do this to pat ourselves on the back, but I want to do this um, just to let you guys know more about the behind the scenes of, of who we are as a people. Over the past few weeks, it's become glaringly obvious to us that we have failed in communicating who we are to a lot of you. When Doug and I and a couple of families decided to start this church, one of the things that we wanted to kind of subvert was this um, typical trend within the American church of devoting all the money that comes in to a building and to salaries. I think uh, a conservative average of new churches, 75%, maybe even up to 80% of that money is devoted to paying for a building and paying for people to, to be in those roles. Doug and I, right off the bat, kind of rejected that um, and wanted to completely flip the script. So as it stands right now, Doug and I 
split 20% of the budget that we have, and we've budgeted over 30% to go back out into the community. Um, we've done this in, in some ways that are kind of good and some ways that might not be so good. Early on, we wanted to try to help break the cycle of single moms and poverty, uh, particularly with folks that were trying to work a job and then having to pay for daycare. So we went to different daycares and just asked for names of people that needed help, and we showed up and we paid their daycare. Um, we've tried to step in the gaps and help a lot of the people here with different needs and just being able to try to walk alongside of you and help shoulder some of, of the burden. Um, last week we talked about the baskets that we gave to the teachers of West Salisbury and hopefully this came across clearly. Um, the money that we give here on a weekly basis is used to go back out into the community because we care about building sustainable relationships with the people around us because we want to try to give them a different picture of the church and Jesus where it's not just we want you to show up in this building and come to our big events. We actually want to show up and be, become living, tangible, very clear uh, pictures of, of who Jesus is. There's this idea in the New Testament where Jesus takes on everything that we needed him to take on that we couldn't take care for ourselves. And when we understand that and we have the, that idea, it should change and transform who we are in not only the things that we say and the things that we decide to do or not do, but also in the way that we live our life where it's not just about us, where it's not just about our family, where it's not just about our things or our bills or our whatever. It becomes about the people around us. There's this picture in the early church in Acts 2 and Acts 4 where the community cared about one another, taking the shirt off their back to give to someone who needed a shirt. So this idea, for me, like I've wrestled with this text all week and I've known that it's coming up and I've wrestled with it even prior to that because what it seems to be teaching is that the money that comes in should go to the leaders in charge and for us as a community, it doesn't sit well. I will be honest with you though, having been a part of this community for 18 months, it's hard. It's hard to lead effectively. It's hard to, um, it's hard to be there for you when I'm working another job, when I'm doing my school stuff, when I'm trying to be a husband and a father um, at home. It's hard to balance all these things. And at times I know that I've dropped the ball in any one of those four different arenas. It's usually the school. Um, I'm in year seven of a, of a doctoral program. It's an eight year cutoff. It just lives right here in my stomach. I think I have an ulcer uh, worrying about it. Sorry if that pastors aren't supposed to worry about things, my bad. Um, but I know that what we've chosen to do and how we've chosen to do this, which might change, um, has been a real struggle. Kate can testify, I can testify. Uh, if I have failed you as a leader, as a pastor, as a friend, as a whatever, I'm sorry. I want you to know, though, that we're, we're doing the best that we can, and this idea of receiving double compensation or double money, I get where Paul's going, but like he in, in 1 Corinthians 9, he, he said that same argument, but he said, I don't want that. And I think Doug and I have been there for a long time. We don't want that. We don't want this place to become uh, a thing that we do to pay the bills. 
We want this to always be something that we do because we love Jesus and we love you. Having said that, we need help. This doesn't work if it's just a handful of leaders that are trying to invest in 75, 80 people on a given week. It has to be where we buy into this idea of the priesthood of all believers, whether you've been to seminary or not. If you love Jesus and you follow him, you're pastoring someone or you should be. And we want to affirm you and help you to step into that role where we learn what it looks like to lead really well, to find people on the margins and invite them in, to find people that might even surprise you in the baggage that they're bringing and put your arm around them and say, Jesus loves you, not in a stupid, kitschy sort of way, but in a a very meaningful way where you actually put life to that by being there for them in the midst of all the junk that they go through. So what does this look like for us? It's kind of in flux. I don't want this to become a pitch where uh, we want money so that we can pay ourselves, but we want at least to, to put it out there where we need you desperately for this to work. We leave here weekly excited about what God's doing in your lives and in the lives of this community, and we want to encourage you to begin to walk that out in discipleship-based relationships like Paul and Timothy. Find your Paul the one who will pour themselves into you, who helps you to grow and encourages you and is there for you in the midst of the pressures of finals, jobs, that very strange feeling where you're a senior and you're walking into your last semester, you're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do and I have a lot of stinking debt. (laughs) Find people that can can invest in you, but also don't leave it there. Find people that you can invest in as well. This place is filled with folks who want someone to show up and say, come over for coffee, let me buy you lunch, let me be there for you. Encouragement, go do that. Even this week, begin to find those people. He moves from this idea of what to pay folks that that do their stuff well into another thing that I think is important for us in our moment as a church, and again, this is going to be an awkward one too. It says, don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Again, this is Paul talking to Timothy, the church leader, and he's saying, hey, church leader, don't listen to the people in the seats that show up and say, hey, Johnny Elder is really screwing up and this is what they did unless that person has another witness or two. So he's telling Timothy to stick up for your team in a sense, okay? But he goes on to say, but those elders who are sinning, the people in church leadership that have wronged you, the people that need to be reproved, do it. And do it in front of everyone, not so that the elder will become okay, but so that the people will see it as a warning. That this isn't just a fun time thing where we hang out, that this is, this is something where we're intentionally trying to walk alongside of people and not let you get away with all of your stuff. That sounds kind of scary, but for Christians that have Christian friends, you know what I'm talking about, where you just fall into these routines of just living life, doing whatever it is that you want to do, and nobody calling the other person on their stuff, nobody having the guts to say, hey, there might be a better way, hey, there might be a different approach to take with this relationship or that person or this thing. 
having those relationships where you can go beyond who your favorite football team is, who you're starting on your fantasy squad, where you work, what you're studying into, a very intentional, you know, <laughs> where you like, you, you get into the nitty gritty of life. You open yourself up and you're vulnerable with one another. So there's this idea of, there's accusations that are being made. The leaders need to know when and who to reprove and how to do it. Okay, our responsibilities to you as a church are this. When that kind of thing happens, when we are in the wrong, we need to walk this out. We need to stand up here and say, I'm sorry. We need to stand up here and say, we won't allow this to happen. If we're gonna be overseers and protectors of your souls, we have to be fighting for you. We have to be protecting you. We have to be overseeing. Because we live in a world, and I'm gonna get here, where the church has wronged people, okay? Beyond that, our responsibilities to you in the next line, it says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality, without favoritism, as if to say, Doug's my friend. If Doug screws up, I'm not gonna hold him accountable because I really like him. We can't walk that out. And also, we can't be hasty in the laying on of hands, meaning we can't be hasty in ordaining certain people to leadership who are not ready. There's this call within the book to really care for the structures of the church so that the right people are in the right places so that we don't have to walk this out where we've wronged you every other week. Okay, so it says, don't be hasty there and do not share in the sins of others. Timothy, keep your nose clean. Keep fighting for these people. Keep yourself pure. Having said that, I know that there are situations that you bring into this room right now where you have wounds that have cut deep. And these are not wounds from just mom or dad or friend or girlfriend or whatever. These are wounds that God's people have lashed out upon you. These are wounds that have been brought to you by the church, by leadership structures that have taken you to task, that have domineered over you, that have abused you, that have caused you, some of you, to be in this room right now because of those things. The question then becomes, how have you dealt with these church wounds that you bring into this place? Have you dealt with them by building up walls and becoming bitter and hating Jesus or hating the church? Have you dealt with them by not dealing with them? Have you just slipped out of wherever you worship and come here and sat in the puke because it's easy? Have you been able to go back and say to Pastor so-and-so, I feel hurt, I feel abused, I feel tapped out, worn out, I feel like there's a rift here. Perhaps this isn't, this isn't for everyone. The looks on your face lead me to believe that it's not for a lot of you, but hear me say this, each week as we take communion, whether or not these things have happened in the church or in life or whatever, we're very good at becoming bitter. We're very good at becoming jaded. We're very good at expecting the worst out of people because of what others have put us through. I wanna say, fight through that mess and allow us to help you fight through that mess. For the folks that haven't walked out this passage where they've heard your accusations and they have the witnesses and they've, they've enacted discipline where they've cared for you, when that hasn't happened, allow us to step in the gap and put our arms around you and help those wounds to heal because you're worthless to the church, to your relationships when you carry this heavy guard because you won't let yourself be vulnerable anymore. Fight through 
the bitterness, the jadedness, the hurt. For some of you, this is your church life. You've bounced around because people have hurt you. For some of you, this is your family life. Mom, dad, sister, brother, whatever. Like people have played a role in your life where they've kept you down, where they find out things about you and then they push you down or they ostracize you or they push you out. It seems as though there's an implication here where we need to move beyond that, where it's not just about um, letting the people in power stay in power and lord it over you, but fighting through that, fighting for reconciliation, fighting for hope, fighting for grace, and fighting for forgiveness. A lot of you in this room need to forgive. Think about that. Let that just kind of sit where you are. Um, he moves on from here into this weird, very weird transition where it's uh, stop drinking only water. So it's like this really heavy thing about um, elders should, should make some money if they're any good uh, because, you know, an ox should be able to eat some grain on the way. And, you know, uh, if there's an accusation, if somebody's not worthy of the money, you should listen to that. You should enact discipline. Oh, and by the way, uh, don't just drink water. Have a little bit of wine because your stomach's kind of queasy a lot. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a strange transition where, where Paul goes into this idea of stop drinking only water, use wine because 